Hello, Starshine. The Earth says hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Janina Edwards. Let me introduce you to our Catch of the Day for May. In this episode, you'll be listening to God of the River by Anya Ao, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki, directed by Alison Bellbues. Fantasy Magazine is edited by world fantasy finalists Christy Yant and Arlie Sorg. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Anya Ao is the author of Ion Curtain and Cradle and Grave and is an Aurealis Awards finalist. Her short stories have appeared in publications such as Daily SF, Uncanny, the 2022 Year's Best Fantasy Volume 2 Anthology, and more. Born in Singapore, Anya has a Bachelor of Laws from Melbourne University and a Bachelor of Applied Design from Billy Blue College of Design. She lives in Melbourne with her two cats, working as a graphic designer and illustrator. She can be found at anyasy.com or on Twitter at anyasy. And now, God of the River. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. God of the River by Anya Ao. The beheaded tilapia nudged teasingly against the riverbank and the bloody soup, staining the lush weeds beneath the little girl's feet. Oblivious to the stench, she squatted beside the muddy water, her gaze tracking over the dead fish. There were a dozen of them, freshly killed. Flies had only just begun to settle over silver flanks, scuttling shyly over tooth marks. Otters, said the girl in Hakka, straightening up. Boa, why don't they eat the whole fish? The girl's grandmother shuffled through the weeds, surveying the river. Fine hair, still dark, had been combed into a neat bun over a long neck, sheathed in a high collar despite the heat. Embroidered flowers picked down her pink kabaya blouse to a lush yellow sarong, brushing over beaded slippers growing muddy from the bank. Aling, don't stand so close to the water. Come back here. Aling reluctantly forged back through the weeds, which pulled at her blouse and shorts. Her papa wiped her cheek with a handkerchief, smiling helplessly. How will you get married if you always act like a boy, running up and down the river? I don't just run up and down the river. Sometimes I jump in it, too, Aling said, unrepentant. My brothers do the same thing, and no one asks whether they'd get married. There's a difference between being married and marrying. Your fate will be the former as a woman. There's the latter. A wry smile pulled at Papua's mouth. Such is life. It isn't fair, Aling muttered, glowering at the water. It could be worse. A long time ago, you'd have had to learn embroidery, 
skin, painting, brewing tea, poetry, blah, Aling grimaced. I'd rather swim in the river. The grandmother laughed. I thought that way, too, once. What changed your mind? Poipois gestured at the fish. I met the one whom the otters leave the best parts of their catches for, the god of the river. A god? Alin looked excitedly at the river. What did he look like? What did he say? He told me that there was only one way to escape my fate, which was to join him in the river. But if I were to do so, my younger sister would be married off in my place, because the marriage contract between my family and your grandfather's was a matter of clan alliances. You didn't want to marry Agung? Aling asked. Poipois gently touched Aling's head. Surprised? No. Aling's grandfather was rather like the hearth god that her brother said inhabited their house a presence that weighted down cause and effect for the entirety of their family, yet intangible, never there. He preferred to spend his time in a house in town rather than on the family plantation. During the Lunar New Year, he would sit unsmiling beside Poipois as Aling waited her turn behind aunts, uncles, and cousins to present him with tea. Every year, Poipois would have to remind him what her name was. The god of the river said that my fate would be my sister's instead, married to a husband who already loved another. So I chose forbearance. Still, some days I think I chose wrongly. My sister's husband turned out to be a scoundrel. Arling knew this too. If you can talk to a god, why don't you ask him to change granduncle, make him stop gambling? The gods aren't as powerful as you think. Not any more. But, stubborn girl, if you want to try it for yourself, catch your own fish. Don't stay out too late. Poipoa turned, threading her way through the weeds towards the White House on stilts that peeked through the towering Anxana trees, their sprawling crowns mottling sunlight over the undergrowth. After leaving out a few tilapia, a loach, and a catfish. Aling huffed as she located Poipois in the kitchen. Poipois, the river god never showed up. Were you just telling me a story? Poipois paused in the middle of measuring out cups of sugar onto crushed peanuts. Did you leave out the fish that you caught by yourself? Six. Five, Aling amended under Poipois's steady stare. The catfish had been her brother's catch, "'begged off him in exchange for a marble. "'Did you behead the fish?' Three, Aling said. "'It had been a gruesome procedure, "'more bloody than she'd thought. "'Eat the heads? What?' Aling stiffened. "'Raw?' "'Nausea rose as Papua chuckled "'and began cutting soft cubes out of the steamed rice cakes "'into the mixture of sugar and peanuts. "'Rolled through,' The peanut and sugar stuck to the cubes, forming Aling's favorite dessert. Papa portioned out some of the mua chi into a blue-and-white porcelain bowl, handing it to Aling with toothpicks stuck into a cube. Aling blew out her cheeks in disgust as she ate. I don't want to talk to the river god anymore. 
Or are you joking with me after all? Why do the otters leave out the best parts of the fish for the god? Out of respect? But I'm doing the same. Wait, is it because the god has to share a meal with you before he appears? The otters understand that greed drives the god of the river. Wapwa popped a piece into her mouth and chewed slowly. Aling, why do you want to talk to the river god? Aling frowned at her grandmother. I want to ask him how to make you happy, obviously. Papa stabbed yet another piece of mochi. She raised it to her mouth, flashing white teeth. I'm very happy, she said, and bit down, tearing the piece in half. Are you? Aling shot back. You didn't want to get married. This isn't the life you want. Shh, Papa said, smiling mirthlessly. That's not something that a woman can say. Besides, I have eight filial children and grandchildren who love me, especially a stubborn little girl called Ah Ling. Why shouldn't I be happy? I could, I could ask the god of the river to make Ah Gung fall in love with you. Him? Wapwa sniffed. What for, when I have no love for him? On the other hand, we have both done what our families needed us to do. It isn't fair. Your Agung didn't marry the other woman as a second wife, even though he could have. He hasn't had children with her, as far as I know, or if he has, he hasn't allowed them to intrude into our lives. He supports his family and isn't violent. That is all I ask out of a man. Papa ate the rest of the piece she had stabbed. Before you understand the nature of greed, you'll never be able to call the god of the river. Even if you did, if you waste your chance with irrelevant questions, you're no granddaughter of mine. Aling stalked angrily out of the kitchen. Sprinting to the river, she found her youngest brother already fishing at their usual spot under a casuarina tree. He gave her a startled look as she shoved the still warm bowl of mochi into his hands and sat down with a huff, grabbing her fishing rod. Quarreled with Papa again? Her brother shoveled Mwachi into his maw. She's not my Papua. She said I'm not her granddaughter. Aling glared at the river. Her brother laughed. How could that be? You're just like her. Oi! Don't kick me! Aling scaled the head of the catfish, then grilled it while watching its body float in the river. The river weeds rustled behind her as she blew on the charred flesh and took a bite. Papa laughed softly as Aling scowled at the still river. Throwing the grilled head into the water, Aling said, I think you were lying to me from the start. You shouldn't waste food, Papa said. Where nights by the river had once been quiet but for the cicadas and frogs, the cicadas' cries were now overlaid by distant chatter, punctuated by the occasional wail of a baby. The latest batch of refugees was settling in awkwardly. What are you wishing for? For the war to be over. Aling's grandfather had taken in anyone who had presented themselves at the gates of their estate, packing it to the gills. At first, the new playmates made it fun for Aling and her brothers. Now food was growing scarce, but people were still streaming in, 
displaced by a threat Alling vaguely understood. The occasional warplane droned high overhead during the day, scattering everyone into hiding, and children into speculating whether it was a British Spitfire or one of the Japanese Zeros. The adults shivered with dread, waiting for an attack on their camp that hadn't yet come. I've told you that the river god doesn't have that much power. None of the gods do. It's useless asking them for favors. Pwapwa nodded at the floating fish. Even the otters understand that. All they ask their god for is for him to leave them alone. It's a protection fee. What is the point of them, then? Aling said, exasperated. They were here before us. That's a rude question in the scheme of things. Aling hissed, tugging at her hair, now hacked short to make her look like a boy. All the girls in the camp had undergone the same treatment and dress. They hadn't been told why, but Aling could guess. A haggard look of worry had long replaced the gentle indifference that Pwapwa used to wear as armor and weapon both, contorting her into a form far more mortal than Aling was comfortable with. Her grandmother had always seemed indomitable before. "'I still think you're lying about the river god,' Aling wiped her greasy hands on her shorts. "'Adults lie. Every time we women have to run away to hide from the camp or the plains overhead, gods in the river, ghosts in the banana trees, it's all a lie.' "'Oh?' Papua asked, amused rather than angry. "'To what purpose?' Aling hadn't thought this far. To teach us a lesson over something or other, I guess. Pwapwa shook her head. She stepped forward, raising the candlestick in her hand over the water as she squatted by the riverbank. Her other hand shot into the murky depths, then pulled back, with the delicate fingers clenched tightly around a wriggling catfish. Passing the candlestick, she hacked the head off with Aling's filleting knife and tossed the still-twitching body into the water. Aling stifled a gasp of shock as Papua raised the bloody head to her lips, tearing off a chunk as delicately as she ate Mwachi. The river's dank surface stirred. Something large and wet undulated beneath, scales gleaming under the moonlight. Papua's beheaded fish disappeared, sucked into the depths. Aling opened her mouth to scream and hummed instead as Papua clapped her bloody palm over her lips, the head of the fish rolling away into the weeds. A horned head rose from the murk, weedy, thick tresses framing a snake-like muzzle with a crest of long fins. The river god's serpentine head was as long as Papua was tall his scaly lips indented by rows of unevenly sharp teeth. Two sets of golden eyes blinked wetly as the god scrutinized them both. Then he brought his head higher, level with Papua. "'Speak,' he said. His mouth did not move, nor did he seem to speak any known words. Instead, the will of a god churned in Aling's head— and comprehension reverberated through her skull. Tears squeezed from her eyes as she clapped her hands over her ears, trembling. Papua's hand on Aling's mouth tightened in warning, even as she stared down a god. 
My granddaughter wished to see you, Pompois said. The vibration in Aling's head grew into a rhythmic patter that Aling belatedly recognized as laughter. You were not so frivolous when you were young, said the god. Yet you came anyway, Papa retorted. The god turned his head, the slit pupils in his golden eyes widening and thinning. Your hunger hasn't changed. As vengeful as a ghost's, as limitless as a god's. Aling shoved at Papa's wrist until her grip loosened. Taking a few breaths to steady her panic, she forced herself to look into the river god's eyes. "'Tell us how to stop the war,' she said. This time, the laughter of a god was painful enough to drive Aling to her knees. Even Papa stumbled, digging her nails into her palms until the god drew back and glanced at her. "'Did you not talk to her about my kind?' he asked. "'She is my granddaughter,' Papua said, as though that was any sort of explanation. "'I'll give you a warning in exchange for the fish, which is all that I can give,' said the god, as he began to sink back into the river. "'Leave this place.' "'There's going to be an attack after all. When?' "'Where can we go?' Aling demanded. But the god was gone. Pwapwa wiped her fingers with a handkerchief, then took the candlestick back from Aling. "'Time for bed,' she said, dabbing the blood off her lips. Aling stared at her incredulous. "'That's it? You summon a god and then time for bed?' "'You've seen the limits of what it can do,' Pwapwa said, her lip curling. Her eyes blazed the rage and despair in them so intense that Aling took a step back. Papa blinked and took a slow breath. Then her indifference was back. I've long known not to bother with such things, ghosts, demons, gods. It's people we should fear. On the way back to the house, Aling glanced over her shoulder at the still river, then back at Papa. The god once asked you to join him in the river. No. He said it was one possible choice that I could make. He didn't mean for you to kill yourself, did he? Who knows, Papa said, though her hands curled briefly into claws. She stroked Aling's shoulders lightly. Go to bed. I don't understand what he said about hunger, Aling persisted. I did want to meet him. While I still live, my children and grandchildren will never be able to summon the river god, Papua said. She clenched a hand tightly over Aling's shoulder, making her squeak in shock. Do you understand? Papua! Aling yelped. Papua's grip eased. May all of you never understand the nature of hunger. That is my wish. Her lip curled into a snarl. One that I'll fulfill myself, God or no God. The attack when it came wasn't helmed by Japanese soldiers, but by bandits. Screams and howls marked time between the occasional loud bark from a gun. Aling's youngest brother flinched and sobbed at a despairing cry from the tofu maker's family house to the east, which melted into a string of escalating screams. Grim-faced, 
Quapwa drove Aling and the other children toward the river, stumbling over roots in the growing dark. They hunched down into the river weeds. Quiet! Quapwa hissed as one child began to cry. Aling clamped her hand over his mouth, letting him go only when the boy receded to soft whimpers. They should fight the Japanese, whispered Aling's brother. He winced as Quapwa pinched him. They're hungry, Aling murmured, near inaudible. Quapwa glanced at her, then back at the camp. She clutched a cleaver in her spare hand, her pianist's fingers white-knuckled over its hilt. Can Agung and the others fight them off? murmured another brother, only to be pinched in turn. Quapwa gestured for them to lie down in the grass. The weight felt eternal, marked with an endless refrain of misery and death. Fear had long ebbed away in Aling when her limbs started to cramp, replaced by budding rage. How was this even happening? Had the bandits presented themselves politely at the gate, her grandfather would have likely let them in. They'd been maddened by war, the insanity that was war, this damned war. What was even the point? Aling had overheard her grandfather talking to her father about it, but had understood little. Where even was Germany? How had a country that she couldn't even pick out on a map sparked off a conflict that had now torn through the world, pulling people into madness? Why even were the Japanese killing their way here? Her father had mentioned hope that the British would be able to stop the advance in Singapore and had suggested that they flee south, but her grandfather had been skeptical. Aling squeezed her eyes shut. Before, she'd been glad that her grandfather had vetoed leaving their home. Now she wished they had. The tofu-maker's house grew silent. Papa gestured for them to stay put and moved through the weeds, aiming to hide behind the casuarina tree. Aling's youngest brother whimpered as Papa moved further away. Aling pinched him and gestured for him to shut up. A stranger in bloodied clothes walked towards the river, holding a machete. Aling stiffened as Papua changed direction, crouching behind a bush. Did she mean to attack? Aling shrank back for a heartbeat, then bit down on her lower lip. She crawled toward her grandmother, ignoring the brother who tugged at her sleeve. Halfway there, the man yelled. Papua struck. The chopper sunk into his back. He spun, backhanding her into the grass. Somehow, Papua clawed up to her feet with a roar, grappling for the machete, scratching at his eyes. Other bandits, closer to the tofu-maker's house, looked up, starting towards them as the bandit and Papua went down in a scuffling scrum. When he got his bloodied hands around Papua's throat, Ah Ling sprang forward with a yell. Her weight slammed into his thin body. The bandit tried to get to his feet, but slipped on the weeds. Grabbing at Aling's clothes, they both rolled into the river. The first mouthful of muddy water made Aling cough in panic. The second made her angry. A blow struck her across the cheek, driving her to the riverbed. Something knocked against her palm as Aling struggled to the surface. The machete sunk into the mud. She grabbed it with both hands, stabbing wildly. Hands grabbed at her hair and shoulders but eventually grew still. Aling surfaced against a bloody soup, gasping. 
The bandit's body floated beside her, still warm. Beside the casuarina tree, her grandmother raised the cleaver. The bandits closed in. Aling looked around wildly. They were alone. No one would know they were here until it was too late. Except Aling groped in the riverbed, desperate for fish, knowing that pickings would be slim, especially since the camp had eaten the river bear weeks ago. Praying she'd find something, anything. Wait, there was still one more thing. It took a couple of attempts until Aling managed to get a steady grip on the dead man's hair. The closest bandit faltered as she made the first cut along his neck with a machete, wide-eyed in horror. The second cut caught against bone. As Aling hauled desperately against the hilt of the heavy machete, the other bandits took a collective step back. Did they know about the river god? Aling screamed at them and jerked the machete free, nearly overbalancing into the river. The bandits turned and fled as she raised the machete to make the last cut, shouting in fear. Aling sat down in the river, her knees weak, breathing heavily. The water brushed her chin, even as Papua turned around. She glanced at Aling, then behind her. Now you come, Papua said. The god's laughter rattled Aling's teeth. <laughs> I was not needed. The corpse beside Aling disappeared, sucked beneath the surface. Can you get rid of the bandits? Aling asked, hopeful. He isn't that useful, Papua said, her lip curling in distaste. She sat by the casuarina tree, breathing heavily, glancing back at the camp. You advised us to leave. Should we go south to Singapore? You will die in the south, said the god. It won't be as safe as you think, not for long. Papua didn't even blink. What about my children and grandchildren? They will survive. Papua, Aling protested. All things fade, Papua said, indifferent. It isn't fair, Aling said, getting unsteadily to her feet. She glared at the god. You don't fade. I will, the god said, smiling toothily. The otters will disappear from the lands, as will much of the fish. The rivers will choke on their filth, bloated with human refuse. Even when the water eventually grows clean enough for the otters to return, they'd be few, too few for their sacrifices to give birth to the divine. You'll be back, Aling said. The god sounded so blithe to his fate that Aling dared to paddle closer. When he merely stared at her, she gingerly patted his flank. The scales were icy to the touch. I'll help. After all this, if all of us live, I'll leave fish for you every day. But only if Papa also survives. You would dare bargain with me? The river god asked, arching back and rearing from the water, flaring his fins. The otters pay you a protection fee, don't they? What's wrong with me doing that as well? Aling retorted. The god stared at her, unblinking. Aling tried to hold his gaze, 
her eyes watering. Eventually she looked away with a hoarse gasp, but the god again began to laugh. He sank into the river, displacing the water against the shore, slithering out of sight. Useless, Papua said of the gods. She reached over to pull Aling to the shore. I don't know, Aling said, as the other children rose cautiously out of hiding. The otters think otherwise. Papua began to sneer, then blinked, her expression growing still. Aling looked over at the river, seeing nothing. Papua stroked Aling's hair lightly. We'll hide here until morning. Wash the blood off your face. Gentleness softened the habitual mask she wore, cracking it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, Starshine. You have been listening to God of the River by Anya Au, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki, directed by Alison Bellbuse. Stefan Rudnicki is a Grammy-winning audiobook producer and an award-winning narrator has won several Audie Awards, as well as more than 25 Earphones Awards, and been named one of Audiophile's Golden Voices. Stefan has been producing Lightspeed Magazine podcasts since 2010, eventually adding Nightmare and Fantasy Magazine, and sharing the Hugo Awards for Best Semi-Pro Zine in 2014 and 2015. We hope you have enjoyed this offering. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or on the social media venue of your choice. Our editors are Christy Yant and Arlie Sorg. This podcast is copyright 2023 by Adamant Press. We publish Fantasy Magazine and this podcast for free, but please consider our many subscription options or recurring patronage at fantasy-magazine.com forward slash support hyphen subscribe. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the audio stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rodnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by Jim Freund. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Janina Edwards. You'll be happy to know that Fantasy Magazine actively practices catch and release, so I'm returning you to the waters of reality for now.